Fair podcast listeners, just a bit of a warning. We're talking about The Crow this week, which has some genuinely heavy themes with its plot. So if you're triggered by sexual assault, rape, or any of that awful kind of thing, you may want to skip this week's Rip Ticket review. We'll be back next week with a look into Bloodsport, the world of Frank Dukes, and of course, Jean-Claude Van Damme. But... If you are hanging around, sit back, relax, and enjoy myself and Dan talking about why The Crow is actually a gothic romance movie. Where Lionsgate started putting out classic movies on YouTube, Georgia allowed the first cinemas to reopen with airport-style security, and the talk of the UK was the letter R for some reason. What else would you need from a film podcast and two blokes talking about arguably one of the greatest sleeper hits of all time? Hello, wherever you are listening or watching, and welcome to the Rip Ticket Review, a movie podcast that has got through its difficult second episode stage with no problems at all. My name's Jack Smith, and joining me over the power of the internet to talk all things The Crow is the burn to my big heavy. Good afternoon, Dan Carver, and I know you've been incredibly excited to do this one. Yeah, me too. The Crow is one of my favourite movies of, of, of all time. I think, and just to talk about it. There's just so much to talk about. I, I hope we can get it all done in an hour. I know, it's going to be interesting to keep this one down to an hour. I mean, we were just talking off air. Uh, I had my first experience of this film last night at time of recording, and I enjoyed it way more than I thought I would. You've, you've been, I mean, I've known you for a few years, and every, you've always seemed to mention The Crow at some stage, so this is, this is going to be a good podcast, I can feel it. Yeah, it, it, yeah, the, the huge reason the the crow is one of those movies where I I, I watched it and it stuck with me mm. for the rest of my life because of Brandon Lee's performance. I'd obviously heard of it before, and I was like, yeah, I'll get around to watching it. And then the next time I heard about it was my mum saying, oh, it's not really that good, which is fair enough. And then I watched it. I picked it up at a car boot sale, you know, because that was back in the days when we used to do those things. Um, picked it up in like car boot sale and the big box of DVDs, and I watched it and I got I was blown away. And we get to we, I will tell you why I, I was blown away in this podcast. Uh, but in order to understand the brilliance of the crow, and I and I love this as well because, like you say, Jack, this is your first time watching the movie, so I get to tell you all about this, and you're going to see this movie in a completely different light at the end of this. I've deliberately you know, not written a review until now, to because yeah. So to understand the genius and the impact that the crow had on me and on many others as well, you have to look at the origins of the crow, and the and the crow started off as an underground comic book by a man named James O'Barr. And James O'Barr was raised, in, he's an orphan, he was raised in the foster care system. He was bounced around from orphanage to orphanage, didn't really form any strong links with uh, anyone. And he self-taught himself how to draw bodies, human bodies. And he was sort of inspired very much by the classical works of art 
where people study the human form, like Michelangelo's David, for example. Right. And you can see this in the Crow comic book, which I have a copy of in my bookcase. Saw that at my local uh, bookstore, and I was like, yes, I'll have ten, please. But I only got the one. <laughs> so... He, he learns to draw, and some point during his life he, uh, in high school, he meets this young lady called Beverly. And this was Barr's love of his life. In the Crow extended edition, where they put all the deleted scenes, and yes, I do have that as on my DVD shelf. You, There's a really great interview with James O'Barr. And he, the way he talks about Beverly, he describes her as the person that completes him. You know, whenever that there was something that Bach could complain about, Beverly would point uh, in the would point out the positives and sort of helped. And you know, the two grew up together. They got into a relationship, and then sadly, Beverly was killed by a drunk driver. It happened out of nowhere, and Bach was devastated. And he was never the same since. Even to this day, he he has never been the same since. So in 1978, after um, Beverly's death, Byron enlists in the Marines. And he illustrates combat manuals for the military. And then in 1981, he was living in Berlin at the time. He began his work on the comic The Crow as a means of dealing with the tragedy of losing someone that he loved to such a random violent act as a um, as being killed by a drunk driver and he was also inspired as well by an article in a, in a Detroit newspaper he saw about a young couple being murdered over a $20 engagement ring and in the comic which took years to complete because it was just James just the one uh, man doing it he was, just, he was the one man army he was he was doing the um the arts and the lettering and everything. And in the crow, the, the protagonist, Eric, his fiance Shelley are murdered by a gang of criminals. Eric then returns from the dead, guided by a supernatural crow to hunt the killers. Although something that was really pointed out to me is, uh, that I don't think, and I, I might have to check this again. I don't think in the comic it's ever mentioned that he's risen from the dead and that there is a theory that actually he's just completely insane. Which I, I thought that was rather cool, but I, I'll go with the Risen from the Dead a bit, please. So, he keeps on working on the crow. And then, during this time, a young uh, director who does music videos. He's cutting his teeth on music videos, and he's been noted for his very interesting style. He goes by the name of Alex Proyas. Yep. A name which strikes fear into film critics nowadays. Three words, gods of Egypt. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, but the less we mention that, the better. Yeah. Um, yeah, but before that, um, he, Alex Broyus, was given uh, the movie The Crow, and James O'Barr was heavily involved in the making of the movie. And... That's pretty much how the movie came to be. Now, the movie itself had a very, very, very troubled making. Mm. And we're not just talking about the death of its star. Um, many things happened on that set which made people think that the movie was cursed. 
So, for example, uh, a crew member driving a cherry picker was electrocuted on the very first day of shooting. Ooh. I know. He was uh, driving the cherry picker to set up lights, accidentally fell into a ditch, and all of his organs were burned. He was about 26. His wife was pregnant at the time. Um... Yeah, the cherry picker went right into where the guy was lifted up. It went right into an electrical pole. Oh. Yeah, so that's one. Uh, a prop truck caught fire. Nobody knew why. That was the third night of shooting. Uh, a stuntman almost got killed because uh, he... Uh, I think he was preparing for a scene and then the stunt person fell through the rooftop set breaking multiple ribs when he landed and then a carpenter was electrocuted and the nine-week filming in north carolina was plagued by hurricanes and freezing temperatures you've also got a disgruntled sculptor who almost destroyed the set uh there was a, an accident with a screwdriver where one member of the art department ended up getting a screwdriver shoved through their hand one day um I mean, even Brandon Lee got injured because there's a bit um, halfway in, in The Crow where you notice that Eric, in full crow get-up, has black tape around his hand. Did you notice that? I, did, I, I didn't notice that, actually. That's that's a very good spot. Can you see that he's got black tape around his hand? It's because he cut his hand really seriously. But, of course, they need to continue filming. And the film was constantly behind schedule as well. The shoot was never on time. It wasn't just the, the like the temperatures, um, or, or the, the crew essentially being electrocuted. It seems, but the you know there was only eight days to finish the film when you know during the time of the uh, after the accident had happened. And when I say accident. I, of course, mean the um, sad, untimely death of Brandon Lee, who was Bruce Lee's son. This was Brandon Lee's first major movie. Before then, he had acted in, I would argue, B-movie martial arts. And in fact, I think he wasn't... I think Johnny Depp was originally tipped to play The Crow. And not Brandon Lee. And then I th they, they talked to Brandon Lee. I think James O'Barr talked to Brandon Lee, or Alex Proyas did. And then they were convinced that actually, yeah, Brandon Lee should play the crow because he's read the comic book and his take on the crow is brilliant. It's and, perfect. And on top of that, he would have been able to add a bit more to the fight choreography in the film because he did get the right. credit for fight choreography. Yep, that's correct. Uh, in fact, if you, again, watch the extended edition of The Crow, the interviews with Brandon Lee where he talks about the madness of his character, would like I could watch those interviews all day, every day, because they are so brilliant. And he comes up with a, a really poignant piece of wisdom as well about taking advantage of moments in life because you've only got a set amount of time in in the world. I... Um, I won't go on about the actual details of the speech, but seriously, watch it. And it was really sad watching it as well, because, yeah, um, he he died in one of the scenes after a prop gun fired a real shell into him instead of the blank, and it was the worst thing that's happened on the set of The Crow. It is one of the worst things that's happened in Hollywood. Uh, it happened on March the 31st, 1994, what happened was 
the weapons master of the film was sent away for the day, and the prop master filed a .44 caliber gun with blanks uh, without checking the barrel first. And what had happened was they uh, the gun beforehand had been used and they rather than use proper blanks they had made their own dummy cartridges mm. by removing the blasting cap from the bullet emptying the gunpowder and then putting the um, bullets back in the revolver so they could use it in close-up shots they accidentally did not remove the gunpowder from one of the bullets and so what happened was when the trigger was pulled in the close-up shot the bullet fired forward but it got jammed in the barrel nobody knew that this had happened the gun was then reused in another scene and this time it was filled um, with blanks. The bullets were taken out and they were filled with blanks, but there was still that bullet that was in the barrel. So when actor Michael Massey, who played Funboy, fired at Lee from a close range, the bullet in the barrel was propelled with enough force to hit the stem of his aorta in the stomach, I do believe, where one of the, his aortic veins. And Lee was mortally wounded. There was a series of unsuccessful blood transfusions. But ultimately, sadly, Bruce Lee passed away at 1.04 p.m. on that day. And Hollywood was completely rocked. A young man had lost his life on set. When the movie was released this only heightened the sense of tragedy because Lee's performance on the film was incredible mm. and it would no doubt propelled him to stardom. Many questions were answered, were asked. Michael Massey, the actor, never got over what had happened. He was the man that pulled the trigger. He had no idea what was happening. He had no idea what was about to happen. And even up until his death, at the age of 64, Michael Massey never got over the fact that he was the one that pulled the trigger. I think there were even talks about a murder prosecution at some point, which is ridiculous. I suppose the only good thing that came out of, of, of Brandon Lee's passing was that when it was discovered the reason as to how such a tragedy could happen, Hollywood's strictly increased gun safety measures mm. so for example everything's obviously got to be checked but on set i do believe I and mean, correct me if i'm wrong but i do believe when people are pointing guns at each other on set they use camera angle trickery to yeah. make it look you're, you're pointing the gun at the actor but in actual fact they're pointing the gun sort of elsewhere yeah just over the shoulder and that's a common trick used in acting for like props that have blanks etc because of this movie and the tragedy that happens so yeah after which the movie was released there was only about eight days 
left to film in they had to rewrite the producers had to rewrite some scenes and film as minimally as possible mm. using lee's stunt double even using early cgi as well to superimpose lee's face for, for 1994 the cgi looks really good yeah they the the scenes that happen there's the scene where um brandon lee's character eric is thrown out the window the scene where he is in the watch t- in his old apartment in the i think it's like a bell tower or a watchtower yeah bell tower bell tower and his young um ward's jelly is there and she goes up and she's like you know realizes that it's eric who's in it who's in the makeup and you see as the sun comes up there's the silhouette of Eric, but you never actually see his full face. That's because it's a body double. Uh, the rumour is that it was Chad Stahelski, the stunt double, and f- hot, fresh science fact, Stahelski would, over 20 years later, he'd make a film called John Wick. So this film's nice. given us some good talent. Yeah, definitely. So they managed to wrap it up, and they threw the film out there. And as you said, it was a sleeper hit and it's attained a strong cult following as well. It was also the first installment of a franchise, which included three sequels in the television series. We don't talk about the sequels. No. Non-civilized conversation. <laughs> we don't talk about them. They're terrible. They are absolutely bottom of the barrel terrible. Um, I I try to ignore the, their actual existence um one of them has who has um terminator 2 uh kid in it doesn't it what's his name oh who's the kid in terminator 2 come on help me out jack I've, oh, I I've gone blank as well let's ask you old google oh mighty powerful google who was the little i was about to swear there <laughs> who's the little kid uh where are we G2, I'm trying to find it. That was it. Edward Furlong as um one one of the um the crow sequels has Edward Furlong in it. Ah. Yeah. So that pretty much I mean his career was going nowhere at the start and that just pretty much sealed his fate. Which was um, you know. Uh, there was also a book as well uh, written, which I've only discovered of about five minutes ago. And there was a television series, a Canadian television series as well. Um, I, I only caught really a couple of episodes of that. It was on like the Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, it sounds like a sort of thing that on Sci-Fi. Yeah, before it became known as Sci-Fi Siffy. Siffy sounds like a short, cute name for syphilis. But then I wait for people to all that. But anyway. The Crow. Um, so the, the, let's talk about the plot. Yeah, the plot of The Crow follows the plot of the comic book pretty closely. Changes a few things. Now, <clears throat> bit of a trigger warning. Probably put this in the episode description as well. Maybe. Oh, there'll be a um, warning at the top of the episode for podcast listeners. We've yeah, got everything bit of a trigger covered. warning for for those who have joined us live. We are going to have to be talking about uh, sexual assault, and this we will be using the R word. Yeah, it's a very heavy is, film. It is a very heavy film, and most of the film revolves around a scene of sexual assault. In fact, that's the main character's yeah. motivation is to avenge se- sexual assault and rape um, of his fiance. So, please do be warned. Yeah, it's an um, 18 certificate for very good reason. It is. Um, so, yeah, here we go. So, the plot of the movie, the movie, uh, the, the, the 
the movie follows the comic book quite closely. It does make a few changes from the comic. In the comic, it's just a random chance that Eric and Shelley um, come across these punks there on the roads. The car broken down. These punks um, are driving by, see them, kill them in a completely horrific random act of violence. Eric comes back from the dead, wastes a lot of them. Mm and then returns back to the afterlife. In the movie, they've obviously got to change a few things because there needs to be some sort of connection between the bad guys and the good guys other than random acts of violence. But then as the movie continues on, it still follows the main plot of the comic book quite closely, which is guy comes back from the dead, goes on a massive rampage of violence, and then returns back to the afterlife. So, yeah. The plot of the movie is Brandon Lee is playing a young rock and roll um, star, uh, Eric, Eric Draven, who is engaged to a young lady called Shelley. And one night when uh, Eric returns home to his top floor uh, house apartment in in a watchtower, he comes across uh, a gang of criminals who are beating and murdering his and sorry beating and raping his fiance. Eric himself is shot and he is then thrown out of the window, dead on impact. Shelley passes away from the injury sustained from said beating a few hours later. One year later, Eric is risen from the dead by a crow. And he discovers quite quickly that any damage he takes, any cuts or anything like that, they are very automatically healed. And he decides to use this newfound power to track down those who have, um, who essentially killed his wife and get revenge so that he may return back to the afterlife and see his love of his life again very simple plot it you could argue that it is an inverse of the rape revenge genre mm-hmm. yes there is a genre called rape revenge movies don't look at me like that audience i don't make these genres up um but you could argue it is an inverse of that genre the um rape revenge genre is is normally um for underground horror movies mm-hmm. schlocks i like to call them because you can't think of a decent plot, so you just break out the sexual assault. And essentially, it, movies like I Spit on Your Grave, that's... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The big one, I think, a disgusting movie, where a character gets raped and then they come back and they butcher all the attackers. And you could argue that this is an inverse of that, where actually it's not the victim of the sexual assault, but someone that they love who died during the attack coming back and you know going on a mass rampage um which you know i've got a little bit of i've got a little bit of time for that argument so the film stars brandon lee as eric draven a young rochelle davis as a young girl called sarah she appears in the sequel as well um although again we don't talk about that i'm pretty sure she doesn't either uh ernie hudson sergeant albrecht the police officer who is initially tasked to investigate 
the attack and then one year later finds himself on the streets demoted because he asked too many questions one of my favorite ever actors michael wincott as the criminal boss top dollar and you've got all kinds of you know this was like the early work for quite a few actors you know lawrence mason michael massey tony todd john polito uh david patrick kelly anna levine Sophia Shyness, it's... Yeah. Um, oh, I've got the characters bloody mixed up, sorry. It was so it was Shelley Webster. Sophia Shyness starred as Shelley Webster. Um, she appeared in the sequel, not Sarah. Sorry, Sarah was the name of... Uh, sorry. Not much sleep. <laughs> but, Join <yeah>. the club. <laughs> so, yeah, you have um, a, a, a wide array of talent there. And, like I say... This is Brandon Lee's best movie mm. by far. The movie is beautiful. I mean, Jack, yeah. you saw you're very good at these technical details, aren't you? Yeah. You know how beautiful the movie looked with I its bleak colours. The way this film has been shot, I know Price originally wanted to shoot this film entirely in black and white, and there's a lot of the film noir element yeah. to it. The, the, yeah. the colour palette is deliberately desaturated. Sure, the studio didn't want to let him shoot on black and white film because it would have been a little bit more expensive, a little bit more, a little bit more complicated to shoot. But the way yeah. this film is shot, cinematography from Darius Wolski, it, it's just perfection. Even the model shots of, of the uh, the city that you see splattered throughout the film, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a technical marvel. I was sat Brilliant. here in awe last night watching it. Brilliant use of bleached colours. You are right. He, they wanted to film the movie in black and white to honour the comic book because the entire comic book is black and white. So they wanted to honour that. I'm glad that they didn't. I'd rather much prefer the bleached colours. I think watching it in black and white, I have... Um, I think there is a black and white version on on, on the um, extended edition, but I have watched um, black and white. I've just messed around with the... Uh, Saturation yeah, settings, yeah. And, and honestly, it no, it, it bleaches out way too much of the detail. Um, I think that would have. I think, although although um, Eric Draven looks brilliant in it. Don't get me wrong. But, oh yeah, yeah they, they got the character form. right. Mm. But um, yeah, you are right. The, the city, the shots of the city look incredible. It's a city rotten to the core, where the police are powerless to stop this criminal gang, and. It, you know, Eric, there's this wonderful, you know, wonderful um, scene where Eric is playing the guitar on top of a building. And, you know, it's sort of like a sort of shot throughout the city, isn't it? Mm. And it's oh, so beautiful. The performances are top notch. Not a performance in this movie, which is wasted. Everyone does the best that they can with this movie. Um, I love Michael Wincott as, well, he's named as Top Dollar, which is his name in the comic, but I don't think he's actually filmed Michael Wincott in this movie. Like, he is second place to Brandon, to Brandon Lee's best performance in this game. A uh, game in this movie. Um, he, you know, his cool, collected villain. There's never a moment where Top Dollar screams in rage. He's always so cool and collected. He's such a scumbag. I love it. Um, you've also got a brilliant performance uh, by Michael Massey as well as Funboy, the uh, drugged-up maniac 
there's a very memorable scene uh, where Draven, Eric Draven, goes after Funboy, and Funboy shoots him point blank in the hand, and as, as um, he's jumping around, going, he shoots, he scores. He watches as the bullet hole heals up in front yeah. of him. Such a wonderful performance. And there was actually an extended fight scene as well. There was a deleted scene oh. um, where after, um, I do believe it's when he goes into the bathroom and he um, chases away Shelley's mum and he says, look, go away. Be there with your daughter. Um, Funboy comes up with a razor and starts slashing at um at the crow at eric draven but the scene was you, you watch the scene it's like it's a great scene but it's unneeded mm. but it was still a good scene and i do believe that's where also he uh brandon lee uh, cut himself ah. with, yeah because uh, on on the um on the shaving razor it was one of those old school razors that they use um but i've been i've been dancing around this long enough it's time to it's, yeah, it's, it's time it, to actually sing the praises of this thing Oh, it's time to sing the praises of Brandon Lee. Um, one of the great tragedies of his passing of this movie is that he never got to see how his performance was received. It was critically acclaimed. Oh, yes. Everyone can agree that this is the best performance ever. There is so many layers to Eric Draven as a character. Brandon Lee in the interview points out that if you were brought back from the dead to avenge someone that you really loved, you would be a little bit insane mm. and you would be very sad and you can definitely see it in Eric Draven. There are moments when Eric is completely depressed as he's talking about um, his his now dead fiance. There are moments of seething rage as he's holding uh, one of the gang members at knife point. There are just oh, there's so many layers to this performance. It's like I say, it's one. I don't even know how to describe it. It's it's almost ethereal in a sense. Mm. His performance, there's sort of makes this movie without brandon lee this movie would never have happened it would have just gone under the radar yeah but with brandon lee he elevates this from your average superhero movie because it is a superhero adaption yeah it's been classified as a superhero um adaption which surprised me somewhat because i wouldn't call the crow a superhero i but i i can kind of see the reasons why but it, it elevates this from just an ordinary superhero adaption of the 90s to something that we're still talked about to this very day. Mm. And yes, The Crow with his iconic face makeup is responsible for many, many people dressing up as The Crow in comic book and sorry, in, in, in nightclubs on Halloween in hopes of looking really cool and sullen. There was even a wrestler who used the makeup. There was even a wrestler who used the makeup. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, and it is responsible for all these guys dressing up as The Crow in hopes of finding um, in, in hopes of finding a girl for the night in hopes that he looks cool and mysterious. If you're one of these people, go home, go away. Get a personality. <laughs> it works. 
stop doing that it's one of my favorite lines actually i mean I, from from south park when because th this was referenced in south park as well um in satan's uh, sweet 16 it was called where satan decides to hold a sweet 16 birthday party and he bans the crow for that very <laughs> reason and i was laughing so hard i almost i, I mean i was crying damn straight because i was like yes somebody else feels the same way as me Oh, go watch the clip. I had—I don't have the clip. I was meant to download it, but I forgot. But go watch the clip. Uh, Satan's Sweet Sixteen for the Crow. Oh, we this shall one. try and track it down and stick it in for our podcast listeners. Um, it, that episode gained notoriety because it had Steve. Uh, was it Steve Irwin? The um, oh. Crocodile Hunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of days after he died, um, the episode aired, and it was Steve Irwin in hell. Ooh. And he comes up and um, at the party, and Satan's like, "Dude, um, there's a great costume at all, but Steve Irwin's like not being dead for too long. Bit of bad taste." I'm not in costume. It really is me. It is Steve Irwin. And he goes, "Really? Well, you're not in costume, dude. You got to get it out." <laughs> that got a lot of negative reaction because it was too soon after it. Even I thought I was like, "Ooh, bit on the nose there. A bit too soon." But, um, yeah, I love the Crow reference. Anyway, so, just over half an hour left. The title of the show is The Crow is a Gothic Romantic Movie. I do believe that there is a very strong argument to make that The Crow is a gothic romance. More so than it is a superhero movie. And I think that it is criminally underrated that that has flown under the radar of quite a lot of people. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. If I'm wrong, feel free to contact us and let me know why. But I believe that The Crow is most certainly, if not in whole, as a part, a gothic romance slash action slash superhero adaption. That's a hell of a title. So why... Do I think that? Well, let's have a look at gothic romance novels in the eighteen in the late eighteenth and nineteenth century. Uh, gothic romances were often mysteries, and they often involved the supernatural and heavily, and they were heavily tinged with horror, and they were set against dark backgrounds of medieval ruins and haunted castles. Now, it's no mystery who essentially um, murdered. Eric Draven and Sarah. There was no, there's no mystery. It's made very clear. But there is a mystery in how the crow finds these people, and he's and he's trying as, as he's plotting out his revenge, and he's trying to figure out what the best, you know, he's trying to figure out where they are essentially. Okay, that's a bit of a weak connection, I'll admit, but there is no denying that there is supernatural elements in this. Mm. There were originally horror elements in the form of a character called the Skull Cowboy, which was cut from the film. In the comic, the Skull Cowboy serves as a means to he, he, to remind Eric of his mission and the pain that he goes through. He And he's called the Skull Cowboy because he is a skeleton that wears a cowboy hat. This was originally in the movie... There are deleted scenes that you can find in the extended version where they had filmed all the Skull Cowboys bits, but they were all cut out when eventually they realized, actually, we can take out this whole character and the movie would be absolutely fine. 
So there are horror elements. There is a monster that essentially guides the crow in the movie called the Skull Cowboy. His job is to essentially make sure that Eric stays on his mission and he gives him a little mission tidbits. And he is responsible for a major turning event in the movie, which I won't spoil. But again, they cut it out. So, you know, oh, well. So there are supernatural elements. Also, as well, the setting of the film. Again, when you have a look at gothic horrors, they're often set against dark backgrounds of medieval ruins and haunted castles. And all right, so we're not in a medieval ruins, but the, the complete city that they are in for the whole movie is a complete ruin. Would you, I mean, what what do you think in regards, Jack? Yeah, I, I can sort of see what you mean by the whole city being a, a, a ruin thing. I got some points with the, some of the model shots. Uh, I got serious Blade Runner vibes because it's this dystopian landscape that you see yeah. all punked down, cyberpunk-esque at points, dare I say. Well, it makes a lot of sense considering that Proyas then went on to direct Dark City. Yeah. Which is the best movie. But yeah, you are right. There, there are sort of like these dark dystopian um, elements to these shots. The bleached colours. The only colour in life that is in this city is in the movie, right towards the end, where Eric watches two. So watches a group of kids running in in Halloween costumes, and I think that's the only life that's ever shown in this city. Everything else. When you watch the city, when you watch the the movie, you just see that the city is just slowly rotting from the inside. So we've got the setting, but also as well, the romantic side of things as well. It sort of comes into play here. Eric is on a mission of vengeance. He is looking to avenge the death of his fiancée and her brutal murder, uh, torture, and rape. But his part in the event, where he's thrown out of a window, is very rarely mentioned in his motives. He is so distraught that the love of his life was taken... He ignores all the things that happened to him. And he focuses on his love, his love of his life. He focuses on the pain that she felt. And that is his main, his main motivation. I mean, how many times you watched the movie uh, yourself yesterday? How many times did he mention as a motive that him being thrown out of the window was a reason why he was going on the murderous rampage? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to trying to remember now because I've I've not had enough ill grace today. It's just dawned on me. Oh, uh, uh, okay, running low. Please refill. Uh, yeah, I'll probably top up after this. Uh, he. He's very clear about what he wants to do, but he doesn't get on too much to his victims. He's like, I'm just here to avenge. He's just yeah. on his own, doing what he has to do. 
yeah. He is essentially fueled by his love for his fiance that he has that has transcended death and has fueled his you know, he has fueled his resurrection. Because it even says in the opening um soliloquy, it says that sometimes when a soul is so sad from you know it's passing away it doesn't find peace sometimes the soul is brought back and that's where the crow comes in the crow is in the bird the crow uh, and resurrects um eric because eric is so sad he eric doesn't you know he, he accepts that he has passed on but he uses you know his love for his um fiance sarah and the rage that he feels the injustice that his attackers have managed to get away and he uses that as a motive to essentially bring sarah and by extension himself sarah's death some sort of i what's the word um some closure yeah that actually whilst this has happened at least the perpetrators have been punished and in a sense it's kind of it it's kind of telling in a sense of how much eric draven loves sarah he loves her so much <clears throat> he is willing to transcend death he is willing to take bullets he is willing to take stab wounds and all kinds of punishment because the crow takes a massive battering throughout this whole movie. Oh, yeah. He is willing to do that to right a, a huge injustice that was placed upon his love. How how many how many people could you know can say that they love their partner that much? They love their partner that much that they would transcend death to come back and avenge them. That's a very gothic way, isn't it, of saying mm. I love you. I wouldn't recommend writing that on a, on a Valentine's card, by the way. No, thank God Valentine's is over for another year. Just yeah, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, that's a weird. That's a that's a very weird Valentine. Uh, do you know what? There's probably <laughs> some Valentine's cards out there actually. So, uh, but yeah. So there's that. I I honestly think that the Crow is a gothic romance movie for those reasons. Um, if, you know, because everything revolves around um, around Sarah. It would make more sense for Sarah to come back alive and um, avenge her death. But, uh, you know. But, yeah. <laughs> it's it's crazy. I love it. I love it so much. On top of that, I, I'm going to have to mention it. What, one, of the, one of the scenes that really captivated me last night was when we see Eric Draven put the makeup on for the first time and you have the almighty burn by the cure blaring oh, out. The soundtrack to this is amazing. I was, the soundtrack is absolutely amazing. When the cinemas reopen, I'm going to make a point of asking the general manager of the local here in Preston to try and get this film back on a big screen because it needs to be seen on the biggest possible screen. You know what? I'm about to make an absolute prat of myself now because I've had my notes open all this time and I always bloody do this. I always, there's a running joke between me and my mates when I watch this. I always get two main characters mixed up and I've been doing it the whole episode. And I'm such a prat for doing it. 
Um, and it's I always get fine. We're live. I get, and we're live as well. And there are people watching. Um, I always get the characters Sarah and Shelley mixed up in names. Eric Draven's murder fiance is Shelley. Sarah is the little girl that takes that is Eric Draven's ward. Oh my! There's there's people that are what that will be listening to this just going. And it's live on the internet. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Yeah. Can you edit that? Uh, we'll, we'll try our best to edit round. I mean, a two-hour turnaround time for the podcast. So we'll see what see, we what can we're do. Gonna do. What we're going to do, audience, is we're going to edit everything uh, in this in this so that I actually don't make that mistake. <laughs> well, <laughs> see I'll what I can do before we... six o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, Shelley is the, 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 the fiancé who gets murdered and Sarah is the young girl who yeah we don't talk we have talked about sarah the character quite a, a a a bit actually but he's he's essentially she she sorry uh is essentially um eric draven's link in the world and she again she appears in the sequel but we don't talk about that yeah we don't talk about that um, and there's a really really there's a really sweet moment where eric gives a gift to Double check this now. Gives a gift to to, to Sarah, which belongs to Shelley. Um, further cementing that everything about Eric and his missions, nothing about him, is all about the love he feels for his, you know, murdered fiance. So that's pretty much my argument if, if for for the um, the crow. Uh, I can't believe I made that mistake. I absolutely am. Well, if anything, we might have begun a, a nice little rip ticket running joke. God no. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got I've, I've just got the crow now out of my DVD case. It's the extended. It's the um, two disc uh, collector's edition. I'm looking at it right now. Um, I'm sure. Oh dear, I must have misplaced them. There were a couple of cards in here. Um, for I think I think they have Brandon Lee the picture on them, but I seem to have missed. They seem to have not. Oh, that's a shame. I seem to have put them. So I don't know. I seem to have put them somewhere else. But yeah, the two disc collection of the Crow. Um, the second disc, of course, has Brandon Lee's last on-screen interview, where he talks about how how um, little time we have left on this planet, essentially as individuals and how it's important to make every moment count. Um, the Sun said tremendous. Lee is excellent. Understatement. Uh, Lee is phenomenal in this movie. I love this movie very much. It's one of my favourites. Um, I won't lie and, and I'll say yes, it is part of the reason why I had, during my young adult years, I had a bit of a goth phase going on. Um, and it was mostly inspired by this movie the soundtrack is phenomenal oh yeah nine inch nails um who routinely produced brilliant gothic sort of industrial tunes and they are right at home here um in the crow right i've got the, the galistical soundtrack here uh, tracks from the cure the jesus and mary chain rage against the machine and helmet uh alongside covers of joy division songs Oh, I thought it was Nine Inch Nails. There you go. See, another mistake I've made. Um, and the Nine Inch Nails were involved. I did see... Oh, uh, I was Ra right, yeah. I was certain. I was, yeah, Dead Souls. 
Yeah, That's yeah, guys could kill them. Yeah, like kill the majority of the mentioned all those bands, I was like, hang on a minute, where's Nine Inch in that list? Like, they made something. There was definitely the, the Cure were definitely um, involved. Yeah, but Burn yeah, is the, the song from the film. The song Dead Souls, um, which was played um, when Lee um, Draven, Eric Draven, um, goes back to his home, smashes the window, and puts on the facial makeup, and it's a great song listen to it um so what did you think of of the movie then Jake? it was your first time watching it first yesterday. time watching it last night i can see where a lot of the more modern films got a lot of their ideas in terms of character execution from the way it was directed for a for a one hour 40 film to have it all wrapped up in such a short time span you don't really yeah. get many films like that nowadays it's it's nope. straight to the point it's brutal it's visceral uh some of the fight sequences i mean we've mentioned brandon lee's talent as a choreographer some of the fight scenes are up there in i say some of the best i've seen in many many years this film has got a lot of good qualities going for it and quite rightly it's become a cult hit it's yeah it's coming up on 26 years. Uh, May 13th, 1994 was when it came out in America. So it's coming up on the anniversary. So we really couldn't be doing this podcast at a better time. Yeah. This is a film that has, for a lot of people, gone under the radar. And I, I can I can honestly say I don't want to spoil too much because there will be a, a, a full written review going up on ejacksmith.com later tonight after yep. I've got all this podcast sorted. This is a film that I cannot recommend enough. It's a film that should be tracked down, watched. It's not like we've all got a bit of time on our hands right now. It's a film that has to be seen properly to get the full experience. It's, uh, watch it with the lights out. Yeah, I watched it with the lights out in full 5.1 surround sound last night as well because I've got a full setup. There you go. Watch it with the lights out with the full, with, if you can, with the surround sound, but definitely watch it with the, um, the lights out. Oh, yeah. Um... I suppose, um, I suppose we have to. Uh, I suppose we have to talk about the sequels very briefly and why yeah, you the sequels watch. and the proposed but never actually happened remake because they were going to yeah. remake it. For the love of God, people! In the last ten, in the last five minutes, um, I'm, I'm watching people that have joined, and it's fantastic that so many of my friends have joined. Hi, everybody! Um, thank you for joining, watching. And, you know, I hope I haven't made a mess of too much uh, <laughs> in my mistake. But there were, I do believe, two or three sequels released of the movie, and they suck! Yep. So the first one was 1996, The Crow City of Angels. That one, that one sucked, but it could have sucked a whole lot less. And then they made the 1998 Canadian television series, Stairway to Heaven. Um, which from the episodes I saw, it was okay, uh, and then it got really, really bad with the Crow Salvation, with Kirsten Dunst uh, starring as well, and it was loosely based on the Lazarus Heart, which was the novel um, of the Crow, which I did not realise existed. Oh, and. Um, after its distributor cancelled the intended release because of City of Angels' negative critical reception, Crow Salvation was straight to video. That oh. tells you everything. Now, it was received with mixed reviews. I do have mixed feelings to it. Sometimes I want to set it on fire. Other times I want to throw it out of the window. My feelings are very mixed on its demise. The, four, the next sequel was Wicked Prayer. That is the bottom of the barrel, and that was the worst of them all. 
I, I as far as I'm concerned, Wicked Prayer um, was oof, no. Um, I watched a video review on it years ago. Um, I watched. I, I got about one quarter of the way through the movie, and then I was like, nope. Uh, it stars Edward Furlong, David Boreanaz, and Tara Reid. Oh. <laughs> With a cast like that, you oh, know yeah. it's great. And um, Dennis Hopper as well, and Danny Trejo. Uh, it was inspired by um, another novel, and it oh, it's just it's just awful. And look, part of the reason why these movies are terrible, but The Crow original is brilliant, is because that. James O'Barr worked very, very closely with the Alex Porras in The Crow. He has a cameo. Go back and watch the movie. There's a scene uh, in, in the scene where Eric is talking to Officer Albrecht in the streets. You see a man stealing a TV. That man is James O'Barr. Hey! In the film. So go back and watch it, Jack, and have fun with that. But James O'Barr was very, very heavily involved in the film. He got on very well with Brandon Lee. I mean, who didn't? Brandon Lee was amazing. Brandon Lee was the Keanu Reeves of the time. Very, yeah. Yeah. Um, which should tell you everything. In fact, Brandon Lee was originally tipped to play Neo, I do believe. Ooh. In the Wokotoshi, in the Wokotoshi's, I can't pronounce the name. Which I yeah, Annabelle, please, Carol. Um, <laughs> that, those directors, um, the Wachtowski uh, sisters, um, the Matrix. It was originally meant to be Brandon Lee. That's who they were thinking of. But then, of course, circumstances transpired yeah. and then it went uh, Keanu Reeves. But yeah, James O'Barr worked very closely with the direction, and you could really tell there was this sense of. James O'Barr's, you know, feelings and tragedy injected into this movie, amplified by Brandon Lee. That's what makes the movie great. There's none of this in the sequels, none of this in the TV on the TV show um, at all. Okay, as far as I'm aware, and I have not seen anything to counteract this, James O'Barr had absolutely nothing to do with Salvation or Wicked Prayer. And there was a planned sequel um, called the, T the Crow 2037, scheduled and directed, which was um, written and direct was going to be directed by Rob Zombie in the late 1990s, but it was never made. Thank God. And yes, there is a reboot. Don't reboot it, please. Uh, that reboot. That reboot. Uh, as of May 31st, 2018, doesn't have a director. Doesn't have a star. Um, Jason Momoa was attached to it at one point before Aquaman became a big success that arguably saved DC from more awful superhero films. Well, but, it kept him above water, then Shazam. And then, kind of, yeah. Oh, Shazam's, Shazam's turned a profit, so Warner happy. Leave it alone. Leave The Crow alone. If you look at The Crow as a singular movie, as a singular product... You will. It is one of the greatest movies that you will ever see. If you treat it as a bit of a as a as a franchise, I believe it loses its. It, it completely it loses. You know what's great about it. It is not the whole point of the crow. What makes it amazing is that it is a singular story. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end. It does not need a franchise. It does not need the superhero DC treatment. Leave it alone. Don't reboot it. Don't remake it. Just. Leave it as it is. And the Rotten Tomatoes rating says it all. 82% for the original film. 
82%, audience score of 90%. So that tells you how critically acclaimed this movie was. Yep. Please do watch it. Watch it in a dark room. Enjoy it. I hope that this film, you know, really touches you and hits you in the feels as it does to me every time I watch it. I highly advise people to go and watch the interviews. This is one of the very few films where I would highly advise people to dive straight in with the making, the direction, the interviews. What it, It's a fascinating story. Please watch it. Please enjoy it. I'm not saying don't dress up as the crow for Halloween, but don't dress up as the crow for Halloween to look dark and mysterious in the hopes that you get laid. That's not what I want from this movie. Just enjoy the movie and you know i'll be watching this uh on the anniversary of the movie i might actually watch it after this to be honest but I'll be watching it on the anniversary of the movie um it is brandon lee's finest performance to, um ever and it is perhaps one of the finest performances in a leading by a leading actor in my lifetime that i have seen it's a proper Heath Ledger Joker-style moment for him. Yes. When Heath Ledger passed away um, and we, I saw the Joker, my first thought was, this is so sad. It's similar to the story of Brandon Lee. The greatest performance ever. And sadly, he'll never see it. He'll never see how it's touched a cold culture. He'll never see how... You know, people like myself, it changed, it, it essentially helped me, you know, in in a sense, you know, in a dark time, you'll never see that. And it's a tragedy. But like I said, watch the movie, enjoy the movie. If you've already watched it, watch it again. One of the best movies ever, Brandon Lee's finest. It's a gothic romance movie. It's a superhero movie. It's brilliant. The end. Feels good to talk about a good movie on this podcast for the first time after doing The Room, which was so bad it's good. And then great movie. I know. So bad it's good. Yeah. And then talking about Uve last week. Well movies are fantastic. It it was good to talk about a good movie that is good for the right reasons. Yes. You know, the the, yeah. But yeah, it was pretty good. Um next week. Next week, we talk about one of my favourite people to talk about ever, the legendary Frank Dukes. Expect lots of bizarre details and plenty of disclaimers because apparently Dukes is a bit litigious heavy in suing people. Um, He's kind of like the Kanye West of martial arts now. He'll sue anyone that says a bad name about him. But we'll be talking about Frank Dukes and his involvement in the legendary Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, Kickboxer. Oh. Uh, not Kickboxer. Uh, no, I've done it again. Um, oh, I have to have a look at this now. Uh, well, I think he did help, he did um, do help out in um, Kickboxer, but he also did... Um, I th- let's have a quick... Bloodsport, that was it. Oh, yes. Bloodsport. That is the most Van Damme of all Van Damme movies. Ask me how good that movie is. Go on, Jack. How good is Bloodsport? It's Van Damme good. God, it's a good joke. I'm using for the title. <laughs> it's Van Damme good. And we'll be talking about why it's Van Damme good. And we'll also be talking about the legendary Frank Dukes. 
So, You've Jack. got that to look forward to next Sunday from 3pm live here on Facebook. For our podcast listeners, if you enjoyed this, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts would be greatly appreciated uh, to get this podcast out to more listeners. I can exclusively reveal, uh, I've had the first stats through from the podcast host. This is a bit of a banter. We've had 69 plays. Nice. Nice. Um... 69, dude! Yep. Uh, but yeah, uh, if you enjoy Grip Ticket Review, uh, we're live on Facebook every Sunday from 3pm UK time. Uh, it'll be out, and then it goes out as a podcast at 6pm. It's a rapid turnaround, because we've got good at that. Uh, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Google uh, Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get all your audio from, basically. Uh, as we said, we'll be back next week with Bloodsport and Frank Dukes and the whole world of Van Damme. Uh, in LeeJackSmith.com terms, full written review of The Crow will be up late tonight, alongside tomorrow, brand new episode of The Journal to look forward to. So that's all the plugs for my content done. Uh, this has been the Rip Ticket Review. My name's been Jack Smith. My name's been Dan Carver. Until next week, we will see you at the movies. Take it easy, everyone. Bye.